1: From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear-lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman, Isquah, reading this great American novel for your amusement and edification, so, much, uh, so many machinations occurring within the hornet's nest of a mind that Heathcliff possesses so much buzzing and flittering about, so much malice. You know, the hornet, unlike the bee, really produces nothing of value. It doesn't pollinate the flowers, it makes no honey, it just buzzes about scornfully. Angering everybody around it, and that's what Heathcliff is. He is no better than a hornet. It is morning time here in Sabana, and uh, I'm still getting my wits about me. I've had one cup of tea already. Probably going to uh, well, I've well, I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do because I have discovered a new. Uh, drink hot drink hot beverage for myself that I have been indulging in on a on a just about daily basis since discovering it can't recommend it highly enough although it is caloric for those of you who are mindful of such things and the matcha tea latte which I've I've gotten in several places but I like the Starbucks one I've been getting it at Starbucks most of all. And that has been my go-to companion over the last however many weeks. Just an enjoyable, earthy beverage. Sweet, but not terribly so. And uh, I get mine with oat milk, which for some reason feels healthier than the regular milk or the almond milk. I guess I'm a sucker for oat marketing. Maybe because it's fibrous or something. But I suppose when it's made into a liquid form, probably all the fiber goes But yeah, that's what that I tell you. I tell you, when I finish up with this recording, I'm probably going to hit the road, and I'm going to go down to Jacksonville, and I'm going to play some cards. But on the way there, I'm going to stop at a Starbucks and grab myself the biggest fucking matcha tea latte they can pour, and I'm just I'm just going to sip and let my robot car do its driving. My robot car, incidentally, made by uh, Tesla, the Tesla Corporation, and. You know, as an avid Twitter user, a super user, as, uh, as they are called, I've been having my, my problems with Mr. Musk, who purchased that company and who, of course, also runs the Tesla Corporation. And uh, my cousin, my first cousin, once removed, who I saw yesterday here in Savannah, Georgia, asked me if I regretted my Tesla. And I had to answer honestly. No, I do not. It is the finest automobile I have ever owned, as much as it pains me to say that. My God, I love that car. My first cousin once removed, known as C.K., she is 76 years old, and I, I never really knew her um, until several years ago. I, I still can't say I know her very well, but it is an interesting thing in my family. C.K. was married Uh, not too long ago, to a woman woman named Iris, who I also met for the first time. Lovely lady. All right. My mom, as you know, also gay. Her sister, Eileen, also known sometimes as Kelly, for reasons which aren't apparent to anybody, was also gay. All the women in my mother's family seem to have turned out gay. Why is that? Is there a genetic component or is it just some sort of Coincidence. Hard to say, but interesting to note. Also, Eileen's son, Josh, gay. And somehow, somehow, despite all of my gay affectations, I and my brother somehow are not. Just an interesting thing to note. It might, might just be coincidence, don't know, but interesting thing to know. And they're all of the same generation, of course, all the these three women who I just mentioned. And, and there aren't that many other females on that side of my family. I'm just trying to think real quickly. None that I know of. There, there probably are some more because my... Uh, Well, who cares? But uh, just an interesting thing to note. Anyway, C.K. came down with her wife and we took the Georgia Queen paddle boat up and down the Savannah River. Had ourselves a time, did we? It's a short boat ride, just 90 minutes up and down the river. Interestingly, there's not that much to see, but there's a lot of industrial stuff on the Savannah River, which I actually find fascinating. There's a huge port here, third largest port in the United States of these Americas. And, uh, so, we, we saw a little bit of the port and we saw uh, some container ships and cargo ships, and we saw an old fort and they lit off a cannon, and we saw an, a couple of islands, and we didn't see any sea life in particular. No dolphins or manatees or anything of this sort, although they do populate that river. So, that was moderately disappointing, but uh, nevertheless, we had a fine time with CK and Iris. Family, as you know. Complicated. There's a lot I could talk about, but I shall not. But family, of course, is the reason we are here. Family is the reason for this book. Now, Heathcliff, not a blood member of this family by any definition, but he is the paterfamilias of these two families, self appointed, shall we say, a strong man who has seized power over two entire households. Two families rest their weary eyes on him. There is not much that transpires between Thrushcross Grange and Wuthering Heights that he does not have some part to play in. And well, that would be fine if he were a benevolent paterfamilias, but of course he is not. He is malevolent down to the marrow of of his bones. He is a vengeful sort, and he is attempting to, uh, I I guess, get get his revenge on the Earnshaw family by screwing over the next generation, them. And so we uh, we have the Linton family getting screwed over, we have the Earnshaw family screwed over, and in between all of them, we have Miss... Nellie Dean, surprising confidant of Mr. Heathcliff, and he has laid out his plans to her, his plans to corrupt Hareton, to corrupt Linton, to marry off Miss Kathy, and for some reason, she is keeping all of this to herself. So last uh, last time we met, Linton... And Kathy and Hareton were outside squabbling, and uh, Linton was making fun of Hareton, and Hareton was saying that he was gonna, he he should beat Linton into pulp if Linton were less. Well, what did he say? Basically, I'd beat you up if you weren't more a lass than a lad. So that's where we left it, with Hareton being embarrassed by young Miss Kathy and young Master Linton. And so. We shall pick it up right now. What chapter are we in? I feel like we're in 20 or 21. Let's see. We are in chapter... Oh, dear. Oh, I like to be prepared with this. And here I am paging back through the book. It's just so embarrassing. Chapter 20 of Wuthering Heights. Mr. Heathcliff, having overheard the conversation as well as I, smiled when he saw him go, meaning when he saw Harriton storm off, but immediately afterwards cast a look of singular aversion on the flippant pair who remained chattering in the doorway, the boy finding animation enough while discussing Harriton's faults and deficiencies and relating anecdotes of his goings-on, and the girl. Relishing his pert and spiteful sayings without considering the ill nature they evinced. But I began to dislike more than to compassionate Linton and to excuse his father in some measure for holding him cheap. You remember that uh, Heathcliff said that, that Linton was no better than tin shined to silver, and that uh, Hareton was actually gold being put to use as paving stones. We stayed till afternoon. I could not tear Miss Cathy away before, but happily my master had not quitted his apartment and remained ignorant of our prolonged absence. As we walked home, I would fain have enlightened my charge on the characters of the people we had quitted, but she got it into her head that I was prejudiced against them. Okay, so now Miss Bronte is attempting to answer the question that I have posed, which is why doesn't Nellie Dean just tell Kathy everything? And here is the somewhat feeble excuse. I would have told her, but she thought I was prejudiced against them, which of course she is, but with good reason. Aha, she cried. You take Papa's side, Alan. You are partial, I know, or else you wouldn't have cheated me so many years into the notion that Linton lived a long way from here. I'm really extremely angry, only I'm so pleased I can't show it. But you must hold your tongue about my uncle. He's my uncle, remember, and I'll scold Papa for quarreling with him. And so she ran on till I dropped endeavoring to convince her of her mistake. Okay, so I guess she is making some attempt, but I have to believe. And look, we know how 13-year-olds how are when it comes to their guardians. They, they do not care to listen. They are so full of, uh, of themselves and so self-assured that they think they know better but I I have to believe that Miss Nellie Dean isn't making enough of an effort on this part. I mean, after all, we're talking about the girl's future, aren't we? We're talking about Kathy getting married off to this insipid creature, this young Linton. And uh, while it is true that she was deceived for many years, it was for her own benefit. I mean, I, I guess you could argue that truth, of course, is the best disinfectant. But Let's read on. She did not mention the visit that night, because she did not see Mr. Linton. Next day it all came out, sadly to my chagrin, and still I was not altogether sorry. I thought the burden of directing and warning would be more efficiently borne by him than me, but he was too timid in giving satisfactory reasons for his wish that she would shun connection with the household of the Heights, and Catherine liked good reasons for every restraint that harassed her petted will. Papa, she exclaimed, after the morning salutations, guess whom I saw yesterday in my walk on the moors. Ah, Papa, you started, you've not done right, have you now? I saw, but listen, and you shall hear how I found you out. And Ellen, who was in league with you, and yet pretended to pity me so, when I kept hoping, and was always disappointed about Linton's coming back. She gave a faithful account of her excursion and its consequences, and my master, though he cast more than one reproachful look at me, said nothing, till she had concluded. Then he drew her to him and asked if she knew why he had concealed Linton's near neighborhood from her. Could she think it was to deny her a pleasure that she might harmlessly enjoy? "'It was because you disliked Mr. Heathcliff,' she answered. "'Then you believe I care more for my own feelings than yours, Cathy?' he said. "'No, it was not because I disliked Mr. Heathcliff, but because Mr. Heathcliff dislikes me.' and is a most diabolical man, delighting to wrong and ruin those he hates, if they give him the slightest opportunity. I knew that you could not keep up an acquaintance with your cousin without being brought into contact with him, and I knew he would detest you on my account. So for your own good, and nothing else, I took precautions that you should not see Linton again. I meant to explain this sometime as you grew older, and I'm sorry I delayed it. But Mr Heathcliff was quite cordial, papa, observed Catherine, not at all convinced, and he didn't object to our seeing each other. He said I might come to his house when I pleased, only I must not tell you because you had quarrelled with him and would not forgive him for marrying Aunt Isabella. And you won't. You are the one to be blamed. He is willing to let us be friends, at least, Linton and I, and you are not. My master perceiving that she would not take his word for her uncle-in-law's evil disposition, gave a hasty sketch of his conduct to Isabella and the manner in which Wuthering Heights became his property. He could not bear to discourse long upon the topic, for though he spoke little of it, he still felt the same horror and detestation of his ancient enemy that had occupied his heart ever since Mrs. Linton's death. She might have been living yet if it had not been for him, was his constant bitter reflection. And in his eyes, Heathcliff seemed a murderer, a murderer. And in fact, he is, I mean, let's be honest, though it be a a, a second hand or an arm's length kind of murder. He has killed all who have come across him, whether in body or spirit. He has destroyed them all. He is a neutron bomb. He ignites nothing, yet destroys all. And it is, uh, it gives me no great pleasure to relate that, you know. I'm very sorry that Heathcliff still has has some fans out there. Some emo girls clutching their Bauhaus pins. And by that, I mean Bauhaus, the, the band. Uh, or their joy division pins to their chests or my chemical romance uh, to, I guess, use a a more modern example. And I can think of no others more modern than my chemical romance, because as you know, I am ancient. Um, But let's take a break, a quick break, and then uh, we shall return in a moment here on Obscure. Back and obscure, with uh, you know, Edgar Linton finally coming clean to his daughter about her uncle and her cousin and the other ragamuffin in his charge and trying to convince the young lass that this is just not a good scene for her. And look, do we have to blame Edgar a little bit for this? Sure. Because maybe if he had let her go into town, if he had let her make some friends, if he had let her run amok at the teen center out there in Gimmerton, you know, she could have had a whole life for herself. And so meeting her cousin wouldn't have been such a revelation to her, you know, because here she is pining for people of her own age to pal around with and, you know, do the the robot dance with and all the things that the kids like to do, play pinball, drink egg creams, all this stuff, you know, that young American kids like to do. But she has been denied those simple pleasures because her papa is fearful of what she will encounter out in the world and most fearful of all of Heathcliff. And, of course, that is exactly into whose arms she has been driven. So, I mean, it's just your classic tale, isn't it? Just some classic literary shit. Miss Kathy, conversant with no bad deeds except her own slight acts of disobedience, injustice, and passion, rising from hot temper and thoughtlessness, and repented of on the day they were committed, was amazed at the blackness of spirit that could brood on and cover revenge for years and deliberately prosecute its plans without a visitation of remorse. She appeared so deeply impressed and shocked at this new view of human nature, excluded from all her studies and all her ideas till now, that Mr. Edgar deemed it unnecessary to pursue the subject. He merely added... You will know hereafter, darling, why I wish you to avoid his house and family. Now, return to your old employments and amusements and think no more about them. So I guess she is accepting his explanation, and as well she should, because he, he does speak the truth here. As a father myself, I wish he would pursue the topic actually himself a little bit further and really drive the stake into her heart on the malignancy that is Heathcliff, and I fear by not going all the way with it, he, Heathcliff I mean, will manage to wrestle that stake from her and implant it right in her eye, you know, and do her in. But look, I'm not there. Who am I to judge somebody else's parentage, you know? Who am I? Although I do have a mug that says world's greatest dad, so maybe, maybe I do know. Catherine kissed her father, and sat down quietly to her lessons for a couple of hours, according to custom. Then she accompanied him into the grounds, and the whole day passed as usual. But in the evening, when she had retired to her room, and went to help her to undress, I found her crying, on her knees by the bedside. Oh, fie, silly child, I exclaimed. If you had any real griefs, you'd be ashamed to waste a tear on this little contrariety. Contrariety? That's quite a thats quite a little word, isn't it? Contrariety. I'm going to have to crank up the research machine and look that up, because I, I feel like I kind of know what it means, but... Uh contrary opposition well i don't feel like she is being oppositional here what is so what is she being i mean she's upset okay you know it's she is mourning for the for the sufferings of the human heart doesn't mean that she's being contrary i don't know you never had one shadow of substantial sorrow miss catherine suppose for a minute that master and i were dead and you were by yourself in the world, how would you feel then? (laughs) Right? You're upset, okay? You're upset. But what if we were dead? Then you'd be really upset, okay? So maybe wipe those tears from your eyes, little lassie. Compare the present occasion with such an affliction as that, and be thankful for the friends you have, instead of coveting more. I'm not crying for myself, Ellen, she answered. It's for him. He expected to see me again tomorrow, and there he'll be so disappointed, and he'll wait for me, and I shan't come. Nonsense, said I. Do imagine he has thought as much of you as you have of him? Hasn't he Hareton for a companion? Not one in a hundred would weep at losing a relation they had just seen twice for two afternoons. Linton will conjecture how it is, and trouble himself no further about you. Well, we, look. We know that uh, that's not going to be the case at all, don't we? We're not fools. We're not fools, Emily Bronte. We're not fools, Miss Dean. We're not going to be led down that garden path. We know there is to be trouble, and trouble will find us. But may I not write a note to tell him why I cannot come? She asked, rising to her feet, and just send those books I promised to lend him. His books are not as nice as mine, and he wanted to have them extremely. When I told him how interesting they were, may I not, Ellen? No, indeed, no, indeed, replied I, with decision. Then he would write to you, and there'd never be an end of it. No, Miss Catherine. The acquaintance must be dropped entirely. So Papa expects, and I shall see that it is done. But how can one little note, she recommenced, putting on an imploring countenance. Silence, I interrupted. Well, not begin with your little notes. Get into bed. <laughs> uh, Will not begin with your little notes. Well, I mean, look, when it comes to these kids, I understand you want to have a firm hand, but sometimes you got to give an inch or so. You could have just said, well, I'd rather you didn't write the note. But what I'll do is I'll send the books along. With a note from me, and uh, and she could have told the truth. She could have said, "Look." Edgar Linton has laid out the entirety of the history here. He does not wish his daughter to have communication. Kathy has agreed, but she's promised these books. And and so I send them along in her stead. Like she could have done something like that, but instead she's saying, nope, none of it, nothing. I'm cleaving you off right here. You're never going to think of the kid. You're never going to, you know, write to the kid. And when you tell a 13-year-old that, my God, what are you doing except lighting the kindling a blaze, you know, and you're just going to start a whole brush fire. Well, you know, you've raised kids for two generations here, Miss Dean. You got to know better than that. But she apparently does not. She threw at me a very naughty look, so naughty that I would not kiss her goodnight at first. I covered her up and shut her door in great displeasure. But repenting halfway, I returned softly and low, "'There was Miss, standing at the table with a bit of blank paper before her "'and a pencil in her hand, which she guiltily slipped out of sight on my re-entrance. "'You'll get nobody to take that, Catherine,' I said, "'if you write it, and at present I shall put out your candle.' "'I set the extinguisher on the flame, receiving as I did so "'a slap on my hand and a petulant cross thing. "'I then quitted her again.' And she drew the bolt in one of her worst, most peevish humors. Oh, Miss Kathy, you are going to get your bottom beat if you keep up this kind of behavior. My goodness, such petulance, such obstinacy. Terrible, terrible, I say, terrible. Um... But, you know, you know how these teenagers are, these American teenagers running around in their hot rods, smoking cigarettes, putting the packs in their rolled up T-shirts, causing trouble everywhere they go, joining street gangs, uh, having breakdancing battles. And for what? I mean, these juvenile delinquents, I don't know what has gotten into this generation of youths. Just atrocious behavior one and all. The letter was finished and forwarded to its destination by a milk fetcher who came from the village. But that I didn't learn till some time afterwards. Weeks passed on and Kathy recovered her temper, though she grew wondrous fond of stealing off to corners by herself. And often, if I came near her, suddenly while reading she would start and bend over the book, evidently desirous to hide it. And I detected edges of loose paper sticking out beyond the leaves. Well, what do you think is happening? And who do you think is actually directing the writing of the letters to Miss Kathy? I have but one guess. She also got a trick of coming down early in the morning and lingering about the kitchen as if she were expecting the arrival of something, and she had a small drawer in a cabinet in the library which she would trifle over for hours and whose key she took special care to remove when she left it. One day, as she inspected this drawer, I observed that the playthings and trinkets which recently formed its contents were transmuted into bits of folded paper. My curiosity and suspicions were roused. Oh, really? You you think you figured out what's going on? You dumb, you dumb-dumb? Come on. You're wilier than this, Miss Ellendine. We all know that. I determined to take a peep at her mysterious treasures. So, at night, as soon as she and my master were safe upstairs, I searched and readily found among my house keys one that would fit the lock. Having opened, I emptied the whole contents into my apron and took them with me to examine at leisure in my own chamber. Though I could not but suspect, I was still surprised to discover that they were a mass of correspondence, daily almost. It must have been from Linton Heathcliff, answers to documents forwarded by her. The earlier dated were embarrassed in short. Gradually, however, they expanded into copious love letters, foolish as the age of the writer rendered natural, yet with touches here and there, which I thought were borrowed from a more experienced source. And who might that source be, I ask you, dear listener, did I not just say? And though my eye may not be as keen as those in my audience. It takes it takes no genius to figure out who is behind this epistolatory campaign. Some of them struck me as singularly odd compounds of ardor and flatness, commencing in strong feeling and concluding in the affected, wordy way that a schoolboy might use to a fancied incorporeal sweetheart. Yeah, meaning, like, oh, I've got a girlfriend, you don't know her, she's in Canada. Whether they satisfied Kathy, I don't know, but they appeared very worthless trash to me. After turning over as many as I thought proper, I tied them in a handkerchief and set them aside, relocking the vacant drawer. Following her habit, my young lady descended early and visited the kitchen. I watched her go to the door on the arrival of a certain little boy, and while the dairymaid filled his can, she tucked something into his jacket pocket and plucked something out. I went round by the garden and laid wait for the messenger, who fought valorously to defend his trust, and we spilt the milk between us. Well, don't cry over it, I implore you. But I succeeded in abstracting the epistle and threatening serious consequences if he did not look sharp home I remained under the wall and perused Miss Cathy's affectionate composition. It was more simple and more eloquent than her cousins, very pretty and very silly. I shook my head and went meditating into the house. Well, there you have it. The forbidden love is springing up between the two cousins, as was foretold and manipulated into being by the malevolent Heathcliff. He has kindled this fire, and now, as we say, it blazes between the two young lovebirds, young Linton Heathcliff and young Kathy Earnshaw, and, uh, you know, they're going to get into a mess, you know, they're just going to get into a a mess. We've all seen Rebel Without a Cause, and we all know that uh, things just don't proceed well under these circumstances. Romeo and Juliet taught us that. Terrible, terrible. The sense of anguish and despair I feel in the pit of my stomach because I know this is not going to end well for anybody except perhaps for us, the readers, who will be satisfied and delighted to see their ruination because that is why we read these books. We delight in the misery of uh, these, these characters. I know I do. So we'll leave it there. You know, got some fine reading done on this day. I look forward to my matcha tea latte as I head down south, cross the border, into Florida. And we'll pick it up again on another caffeinating episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedrin. If you listen and like the show, please help us out with a rating and a review. We want to be obscure, but not that obscure. It's an easy way to support the show. Thanks.